Morning. You all know I won't use that. Okay. We are, uh, now we're three weeks into our new faith series uh, over the epistle or the letter uh, of James. And, and just as quickly as I can do this, James is the half-brother of Jesus who wrote to the Jews who were scattered uh, throughout Palestine. And the Jews he, were, he was writing this thing to were heavily persecuted for their faith by everyone, by the Romans, by the, the other Jews, by pagans. And so it was very, very tempting for them to give up or just lay back. Uh, but he wrote them to encourage them just to stand firm under this persecution because he knew that God would bless them. So today we're going to discuss some valuable advice that James gave him to help him uh, kind of stand firm during those persecutions. Now, I know it's easy to lose sight of what's important when you're facing difficult trials in your life because sometimes those trials seem to consume us a little bit. But as believers, it's important that we don't allow our struggles to change the way we behave or the way we treat other people. Right? It's really, really important. And how believers handle trials is an opportunity for us to magnify our faith and to kind of draw people to Jesus. Now, earlier we discussed uh, how trials uh, act like a fire that, you know, the, tests the quality of our faith. And I'm going to kind of recap this really quick because it's relevant. But uh, when gold is put through a fire, it burns the impurities in the gold out. And it comes up as dross, and the goldsmith just scrapes it off. And what comes out is the purest form of gold, uh, and it's very valuable. Right? And it's more valuable when it comes out of the fire than when it went into the fire. Right? So every time, uh, every time we go through a fire, those fires we go through uh, kind of act the same way as the fire does with gold. Here, it kind of, when we go through a trial or a test, um, those tests and those trials kind of purify our weaknesses, the things that are, uh, that are holding us back. And, and it, when we come through those trials through trusting God and we come out the other side, we are more pure. We're more like Jesus when we come out the other side. But when believers try to face their trials by themselves, it doesn't turn out that way, right? And they won't be purified by that fire. Instead, they'll actually be consumed by it. Because in not trusting God during that fire, they'll start losing their joy and their assurance is, is consumed and their peace is consumed and, and they come out the other side looking nothing like Jesus, right? So it's really important. And, and I titled today's message, uh, Fighting Fire with Faith, because that's, that's the only way we can beat trials. Uh, but when we allow our trials to make us angry and, and bitter uh, and uh, make us ignore God, we just can't win. I don't know. Has anybody ever been through that? Have you ever been through a trial so heavy and so hard on you that it changes the way you behave, the way you think, and maybe even the way you treat people? So I think this lesson is very relevant. So let's jump right in. James 1, 19 and 20. And it says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not, what? Achieve the righteousness of God. Very, very important. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Okay, now in verses 19 and 20, James was kind of telling his readers um, how to respond to other people while they're enduring a trial. Now, obviously, the advice he gives here, I mean, would be good in any situation. It's just, it's just plain good advice. But according to the context, he's been teaching them about faith under trials. So most likely, he's referring to how to treat people while you're enduring persecution and trials, because they were always enduring persecution and trials. Now, the advice he gives them is really important. We're going to spend a lot of time looking at it. I'm going to try to get through quite a bit. I don't know if I will. But the advice that James gives his readers today is threefold, and I want to look at all those really closely. So first of all, we're going to be using a lot of Greek words today. I'll try to pronounce them not uh, as, as accurately as I can. If not, I'll just say I'm fast and confident, and you do the same, and we'll all fool everybody. Okay. So first, it says, be quick 
to here. This is the first part of that threefold solution. Now, the Greek word translated here in verse 19 is akuo. Okay, akuo. And what it means is to listen or receive news or information. Okay, so, so being willing to carefully listen is what this is talking about. And being willing to carefully listen is essential in successfully enduring trials and testings. It's just essential. Right? You have to be willing to listen, especially considering the immense stress that we're under when we're uh, undergoing a trial or, or, or a temptation or a test. Right? So it's really, really important that we are quick to hear, willing to listen. Okay? So James was actually more like saying quick to receive God's wisdom. Right? Quick to look for God's direction is what he's talking about here. Because without God's guidance and wisdom, I mean, our future's dark. I don't even know how people can get through. Failure is just, inev- failure is just inevitable. Now, the second thing he said was slow to speak. This is something I've lived by my whole life. I can't even say that with a straight face. I can't even say that with a straight face. I have cousins that take this too literally. I said, listen, it doesn't say speak slowly. Some of my cousins down south draw out their language. I'm like, no, no, no. That's not what it's talking about. Be slow to speak, not speak so slow it takes an hour to tell me anything. But anyway, so he says slow to speak. All right, now, uh, the word speak is allow, and it means to speak, say, or to tell. Okay, it's allow, to speak, to say, or to tell. Okay, now, there are a couple of old sayings about, about listening and talking that I want to share with you. I'm sure a bunch of you have already heard these, and I heard them a lot from my dad when I was growing up. Okay, the first one is, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason, because we should listen twice as much as we talk. Anybody ever hear that one growing up? Yeah, I heard it a lot, strangely. Uh, the other one is, no one can learn anything while they're talking. I heard that a lot from teachers in school, but I'm just saying. Those old sayings are absolutely true. And, and sadly, the truth is, when we're facing trials and temptations, we tend to talk. People just tend to talk more than they listen when we're in trials. And often they'll talk to or tell anyone who will hear their story, anyone who will hear them whine about their situation. They'll go and whine to anyone who will listen about their struggles uh, and their trials, and they do that hoping that the people they're talking to will tell them what they want to hear. Now, let's be honest. Have you ever went to someone before you went to God because you wanted them to justify you? Have you ever been there where you go talk to people because you're hoping that they will tell you exactly what you want to hear? And so when they do that, people are usually pretty happy to, to oblige and to do that. And it, it drives me crazy because they think they're helping them. But they're not helping them by just telling what they want to hear. They'll go, you know, you'll go to them and say, yeah, you know, this happened. And they'll say, oh, you poor thing. It's just not fair. Everybody's mean to you. No, no, you're right. She's wrong. You know what I mean? No, you need to make it right because you shouldn't allow that. That's what they'll tell us, right? And they just baby us. And, and sadly, that, a lot of times that keeps us in a bad situation with God because we're allowing that to comfort us instead of allowing the Word of God to comfort us. But trusting the advice of people over God when you're going through a trial makes no sense because it's just going to prolong your trial. It's going to make it last longer than it should. It's not good for anybody because God is not going to bring you out of a trial until you have learned everything he wants you to learn in that trial. So you can pray, God, get me out of this, but he's not going to answer that. He is going to leave you right there until he teaches you everything you need to learn because those trials come upon us for a reason, right? So The only way to learn from a trial is just allow God to lead you through it. Allow him to take your hand and lead you through it. But first, you have to face that trial. You have to face it before he can lead you through it. 
That means you can't hide from your trials, and a lot of times I think that's what we do. But hiding from your trials won't help, because God's going to say, fine, go find something to distract you. But when you're done, we're going to deal with this trial. There's something I want to teach you, and you will learn it. And some people take years of abuse in the doghouse with God, waiting for him to get them through a trial he could have gotten them through quickly if they would have just trusted him. Okay, now this one is one that's tough for any redhead. Slow to anger. Slow to anger. I'm working on this one, fellas. I'm just going to be honest with you. <laughs> I haven't perfected this one, especially in traffic. That's where I need to perfect this. But anger is from the Greek word orge, and it means wrath. It actually means wrath. Okay? And before I discuss this, though, I want to jump off the main text for just a second because I want to discuss what Paul said about anger when he was talking to the Ephesians because I think it's really applicable. If you look at Ephesians 4.26, we'll look at 26 and 27. He says, be angry and yet what? And yet do not sin. Do not let the sun what? Go down on your anger. You ever hear people say things like, well, let me give you some good advice. Don't go to bed angry. How many people have been told that? Yeah, that's plagiarism. This is where it comes from. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And here's the big one. And do not give the devil an opportunity. This is huge. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Okay, very, very important. See, anger is one of the most common reactions to trials, conflicts, and struggles. It's just a common reaction, and I don't, I don't know why. It's just our go-to reaction. But the Apostle Paul told the Ephesians, he said, Be angry, and yet do not sin. So we can surmise from that conversation that it is possible to be angry and not allow that to lead to sin. That is possible. Because anger is an emotion. It's not a sin. It's an emotion. But it's our natural reactions to anger that get us in trouble. It's the natural reactions we have to anger that lead us to sin, right? So here's the thing. How is it possible to be angry and not sin? Paul tells us in the very next part of that verse. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So what he's saying here is the way to keep anger from turning into sin is to deal with it quickly and prayerfully. Now, if I just said deal with it quickly, I don't know that that'd be good advice. Because if you deal with something quickly when you're angry, it's probably not going to be good. Quickly and prayerfully, and the reason I say that is if you pray about what made you angry before you do anything, I promise you, you will calm down. It is impossible to pray angry to God, honestly, and stay that way. It's impossible. If the first thing you do is pray when you become angry, you will calm down and make better decisions. And then once we calm down, what God is saying is he wants to, if we, if we trust him and pray to him first, he will show us how to resolve that anger in a quick and godly fashion. And we'll find godly resolution. Now, by godly resolution, I mean resolution based on God's word, not our emotions or how we feel. Okay, then God will show us that. Because here's what gives the devil an opportunity. The longer we allow anger to linger, the more bitter and ungodly we become. It's just true. The more you, have you, anybody ever got mad about something? And it wasn't too bad at first, but the more you think about it, the worse it gets. And you start building on it. And I think we even invent stuff people said and we, things that happened that didn't because we're, our anger is just fueling that in us. And that's why Paul said, do not give the devil an opportunity. Deal with this quickly. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Because the devil loves to exploit us while we're in our weakened emotional state. And believe it or not, when you're angry, you are in a weakened emotional state. Right? Very weakened. I mean, just hypothetically speaking, not from experience per se, but hypothetically speaking, he's the one that tells you to yell at other drivers 
when they cut you off. Now, I know you guys probably think I'm a psycho, but let me, which is partly true, but, but, but let's go over this. How many people have ever been driving down a freeway and there's two people doing five miles under the speed limit side by side? Forever. Now, I want to know how many people, when they see that, go, bless you. Bless you. How many people, like me, go, I wonder if a cop would catch me if I went around him on the berm? How many people thought that? There, there we go. There we go. And my wife is, is an expert at guilt tripping, which I think all women are born with. But when, when I do stuff like this in traffic, I'll get angry and I'll go, idiots, what are you doing? Get out of the way. And my wife's like, that's nice, pastor. <laughs> and I look at her and say, bless you. No, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying he, he attacks us like maybe like that when we're in an emotional state. He's the one that tells you to gossip about people when you're mad. Instead of going to him when you're mad at him, he's the one that says, no, just find somebody to agree with you and gossip about him. But make sure you make yourself sound really good when you're doing it. Right? He's the one that tells you to stir the pot. Try to get other people mad at that person so that you know, misery loves company. Well, you're the misery and you need a little company. Right? That, that, that's what makes us do that. That's the enemy hit people, you know, lash out at people. That's the enemy. And what Paul told the Ephesians was, uh, it was really important because it's going to help us grasp what James is trying to say here about being slow to anger. Because when someone gets angry during a trial or a struggle, it can cloud our judgment. It really does cloud our judgment. I hear, as a coach, I hear people all the time say they play better angry. That is not true. You might get lucky once in a while when you're angry because you're swinging harder or taking the deeper shot or something. You might get lucky. Like, I don't know, Iowa. Anyway, I'm an IU fan. That still hurts a little bit. Still a little raw. But, you know, there's sometimes I think, I think that, you know, we forget that it clouds our judgment. We just don't make good decisions when we're angry. Angry people do irrational things. I mean, very irrational things. Things that feed that carnal need each one of us has for revenge. And if you're honest with yourself, all of us have that, that desire for revenge in us from time to time. And, and often, when we allow ourselves to give in to that anger, and we allow that poor judgment to take its place in our lives, and we allow those irrational things to come out, that anger will start manifesting itself in things that are ungodly. Like abusive speech toward others, that, that's, a, that's a big one, right? Or violence. Right, or some of the things I already mentioned. That's what happens when anger manifests itself, right? Uh, and here's another thing, you know, angry people also love to blame other people for their struggles during trials, right? And I, believe me, in counseling, I've heard it a million times. They come in with an issue, it takes three counseling sessions to get them to quit talking about everybody else to finally get them to realize the problem is theirs. Because no matter what someone does to you, how you react to them is up to you. You know what I mean? And we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. But the reason people like to blame others, I mean, sometimes they'll blame their friends, they'll blame their family, they'll blame their spouse, they'll blame their church, they'll blame their pastor, anybody. And the reason they do that is it's, it's easier to them than accepting personal responsibility, and accepting personal responsibility is the first step in, in getting through that anger. And again, basically what they're doing when they do that is they're just hiding from the trial and not trusting God to get through it. And I love what James says next in verse 20 because he kind of attempts to simplify the danger that comes from giving in to anger. He says, For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. I love, love, love that statement. Right? Because this is very powerful, but it's, it's very simple. It's a very simple thing about human anger. In a nutshell, anything we do, 
Anything we say when we are really angry is never going to be righteous. And that's, that's not me saying that. That's the word of God saying that. It just can't be righteous if you're doing it or saying it in a state of anger. Remember, the main reason that James wrote this was to teach people to have faith in trials. So James was just specifically addressing that by saying, don't let anger take the place of faith during your trials. And so these three ways, we'll go through these real quickly. I'll kind of abbreviate them. He gives three very simple solutions to show you how to properly respond to trials without anger. First of all, be willing and eager to listen to God, to his word, and to those who teach it. Second, be slow to speak without first hearing all the facts. Right, hearing all the facts, and then taking them to God. You know how many times we make decisions when we're angry without listening for all the facts, hearing both sides, and especially without taking it to God? He tells us not to do that. And the third thing was finally, and this is probably the most important, restrain from expressing human anger in ungodly ways. And I believe that this is the most important of the three. Now, how many times, let me ask you this, and I want you to ponder on this, how many times have you actually ever solved anything through expressing anger tell me a time when you solved a problem by shouting louder than the other person did that ever solve anything talking about people ever solve anything hating people holding grudges none of that solves any problems right anger does nothing good for us it makes us viciously gossip about people just viciously talk say terrible things about people and talk behind people's back it makes us prone to violence it makes us jump to conclusions Uh, it makes us assume the worst about people Have you ever been mad at somebody so you just assume the worst about them in everything? Anger makes us do that, right? Anger makes us desire revenge by becoming judge, jury, and executioner all by ourselves. That's what anger does, right? And finally, when we're consumed with anger, we're usually just not seeking God's advice. So James is really worried about them giving in to anger. And it would have been tough. They they would have had a lot to be angry about, all right? I mean, they were being persecuted on all sides. Imagine, I don't know if any of you have ever had family turn on you once you become a believer, but that's kind of like what, you know, the Jews who became believers in Jesus, I mean, the Jewish religion is like a family to them. And they all turned on them. So it was, it was understandable they'd be angry, and so he was just telling them how to deal with that. Now he moves on to talk about how to remove things from your life and replace things with better uh, things from God. Look at this, James 1.21 says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Okay, now there's a lot here. There's a ton here. Whenever you see the word therefore when you're studying scripture, always check and see what it's there for. Okay, that's an old saying that's still true to this day. Because think about this. Therefore tells us that what we read next is the result of what we just read. It's saying those two things are linked. Therefore connects these two passages, right? So James has just said to avoid expressing human anger. That's what he has just said. And then we go into this, therefore. Now in verses 21 through 25, James includes this twofold approach to dealing with anger during trials. Another twofold approach. And I want you to listen to this. This is very, very important, right? First, they needed to remove the negative emotions and the actions that were negative from their lives. They needed to do that. Because the word translated here, filthiness, in verse 21, is the Greek word ruparia. Okay, and ruparia means moral impurities. Okay, it means moral impurities. So that's one of the things he's telling us to remove from our life. The word translated wickedness in verse 21 is from the Greek word kakeia. And kakeia means displaying malice, hateful words, and feelings, and actions. That's what that word means. Okay, 
And then next he says, so basically up to this point he's saying, remove these negative emotions and actions out of your life. The, the malice, these, these mean feelings, these mean-hearted feelings, these, these actions of revenge. Get that all out of your life. And next he said, to put aside the moral impurities, malice, uh, impurities, malice, hateful words and actions. He says that, but then he says to put aside. Now that word's really important because it's apotithemi, and it means to choose to stop or cease. Now, now hear me. It means to choose. Put aside means to choose, right? To choose to stop or cease something. So that tells us we have a what? We have a choice. It bugs me to death when people say, well, I know what I did when I was angry was wrong, but I can't help myself when I'm angry. I just can't stop. I just can't seem to stop myself. That is an excuse, and that's a lie. Because he tells us right here that we have the ability to choose to control that anger and that negativity. We just don't want to. We just don't want to. Because most people want to surrender to that anger. They want to just give in to that anger because something tells us it feels good, doesn't it? To just give in to it, throw things. Has anybody ever thrown things when they're angry? Be honest. I had a buddy I used to golf with. He used to crack me up. Phenomenal golfer. But you better have a helmet when you golf with that man. I saw a $400 driver snapped over his knee. I saw $200 irons thrown 30 yards neatly in a spin into the middle of a pond. I saw him take a wedge and slam it into the cart and dent the thing that holds the roof up. At that point, I'm thinking, i got to get out of here. You know what I mean? I mean, it can make you do some really, really crazy things. But listen, you can control that. He tells us we can control that. We just don't want to. We just don't want to control that. Right? Now look at this, 121b. James told them the positive things. He gave them some positive things here, too, also they could do. He told them to take those negative things out. And then he says, in humility, receive the word. Now this is important. Implanted. Underscore that if you're following. Uh, In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Underscore that. Those are going to be two big things we're going to talk about. Okay, which are able to save your souls. So what did James mean when he said, in humility, receive the word implanted? Okay, here we go, back into the Greek. The Greek word for receive is dikomai, and it means to welcome or embrace it. So he's saying to welcome or embrace something here. Right, very, very important. Now what was James saying that we should welcome or embrace? The word that's implanted. The word that's implanted. Now this is important. All right, the word implanted in verse 21 is the Greek word emphutos. All right, now... Infuto simply means placed in. It's like someone placing a seed in soil and covering up so it can grow. That's what that word means. It means to, when he says implanted, it's giving you the idea of a farmer planting a seed. That's, that's what it's giving you the idea of, right? Now, this is the only place in the entire Greek New Testament that this word is used. Okay, the only place. And here's what he meant. When we believe God places a piece of himself in us he places a piece of himself in us called what called the holy spirit and that holy spirit follow me here enables us to understand god's work okay he places in us the ability to understand god's word you follow me now the humility comes into play when we deny our sinful nature and surrender to that seed that he has planted in us that helps us understand his word. That's what he's talking about here, right? It takes humility to say, I'm wrong, God. You're right. I'm willing to listen. That's what he's saying here. It's very, very 
important, right? Because listen, when you listen to your sin nature, instead of humbly surrendering to God's will, it causes big problems. It's our sin nature that convinces us to lash out in anger and, and to, to seek revenge with people. It makes us feel like seeking revenge is okay. And by lash out, I mean we think we're, we satisfy this primal desire for revenge. And we do that because we think it's going to bring instant gratification. If I tell them this, I'm going to feel better. Anybody ever said that? And I'll be honest. Have you ever said to yourself, I can't believe that. You know what? I'm going to call them. And you know what I'm going to tell them? You know what I mean? And you think that when I tell them that, I'm going to put them in their place and it's going to feel great. It's going to be such instant gratification, shouting at people, violence, whatever. It's going to make you feel so better, but here's the, so much better. But here's the problem. In the end, it's not gratifying at all. Because you ever notice when you come down from being angry, does anybody ever say, I am sure happy I did that? What you did when you're angry? Now, when you lash out in anger, when you give in to that, usually the only thing that results when you calm down is shame. Shame and regret. That's what happens when you give in to that. So James was saying, listen, don't give in to that. Control that. Don't give in to that. It's just going to bring regrets. Right? Now, the next, next James said that receiving the word implanted can actually save your souls. So he says, God put a piece of himself in us so that when we are angry, we can understand the word of God to help talk us down, if you will, right? And then he said, that same word is able to save your souls. Now, people get confused here. Remember, save your souls, whenever it's talking about saved and souls, it's not always talking about our eternal salvation. It's not what it's always talking about. It's really important we understand that, right? He couldn't have been saying to believers, remember, these are believers, Jewish believers scattered throughout you know, Palestine, why would he be telling them, receive this word so it can save you? They're already saved. That's not what he's talking about. Save your souls here is totally different in the Greek. It literally means in the Greek, save your lives. He's saying if you receive the word of God implanted into you, listen to the word of God because you now have the ability and do what it says, it's able to save your lives. Listen, being angry with the Jews or Roman government at that time and lashing out could end up having them killed or imprisoned for the rest of their life. That's what would happen if they were to lash out. He's saying, listen, if you would just trust God and give this to God and receive the word because you have the ability to understand it, God will deliver you from that situation without you having to become an idiot and go off on people. Okay, that's my translation, but that's what he's saying. Right? It's really, really important that you understand that. He will deliver you from persecution. If you don't give in to your emotion and your anger, give it to him and wait on him to show you how. And he will. His word will reveal that to you. It's very important. And I'll bet you, if we are honest, and I will not make you raise your hands, and I'm not going to force anybody to lie, but I bet you if we're honest, most people don't even pray until they've already calmed down a few days later about that topic. I'll bet most people don't. I'm guilty of it myself. Right? Now, Je now next, James this is a very you know, popular section. I don't know a lot of people understand it like they should, but we're going to try to explain it. But next, James explains how we should respond to that word that's implanted once we receive it. Okay? So James discusses two different responses to God's word. And I still think he's talking about when you're angry during a trial. Right? And he does this using hearers versus doers. How many people are familiar with this? Hearers versus doers. How many people have seen this before? Okay, good. James one twenty two. But prove yourselves to uh, doers of the word and not merely hearers who what? Who what? That's going to be important. Remember that. James said that some believers not only receive the word implanted, but they act on it. Okay, these are the doers. They act on it, meaning they believe God's word, 
and they allow it to guide and impact their words and actions in their entire life. That's what it means, okay? James also said there are some believers who hear the word implanted and ignore it. These are the hearers of the word, not the doers. They hear it, but they ignore it, okay? This is really important. They hear the word implanted, but they just don't allow it to impact their lives or change their words or actions. And James said the people who think just hearing the word is enough, he said they're delusional. They're kidding themselves is what he's saying. It's not enough to know it. You have to also follow it, be obedient to it. So he compares the hearers only to people who look at themselves in a mirror. Look at this, James 1.23. It's a brilliant illustration. He says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So... <laughs> This is actually kind of funny when you, when you think about it. So these people who are hearers only, he says that they're delusional and they're like somebody who will look in a mirror and notice something is wrong and then go, eh, and walk away and not make a change. So like, go and look in a mirror, your hair's sticking all over the place, something's hanging out of your nose, and they're like, eh, it'll fix itself, and they walk away. They're delusional. You look in a mirror, see you have something on your face, you should wipe it off, right? The delusional person goes, eh, forget it. That's what he compares them to. Seeing what needs to be fixed and doing nothing about it. That's the hearers of the word only. And he says that they are delusional. Right? Now notice he added something here. He said that they were forgetful hearers. He's going to change this completely. Right? Look at this. He says, but the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a what? Forgetful hearer. But an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. All right, so he added something here. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Now, let's look at this phrase, looks intently. He who looks intently into the perfect law. That's kind of wordy, right? And that looks intently, that phrase is from the Greek word parakupto. And parakupto uh, was used to describe someone stooping down to look at something closer. That's what it means when he says, he who looks intently. It means someone who stoops down to look at something closer. How many mushroom hunters do we have? People who hunt mushrooms? Okay, two of us. They are good, aren't they? How many mushroom eaters do we have? Oh, that changes everything. You're the one saying, found anything? Right? If, if, when you're hunting for mushrooms, that's what I first thing I thought of when I saw the Greek definition of looks intently. Until you learn how to do it, you can go with somebody and they're finding them like crazy. Anybody ever done that? And you're like, there are no mushrooms in this woods. You planted those. Those are not really, you bought them and hit them yourself. But if you don't pay careful attention and look carefully at the ground, they kind of blend in with the colors when they start to get ripe. They just, it's hard to see them, right? And so that's what I think of when I think of looking, uh, in, l looking intently into something here. That's, that's kind of the idea he's putting. See, the doer studies God's word or looks into it intently, believes it, lives it, and the result of that is he's blessed. He, just, he doesn't just look at it and walk away from it. He believes it and actually does what it says. That's why he starts getting a little harder by calling him a forgetful. The one who doesn't just blows it off. So he calls him a forgetful hearer. Now, why did he do that? Because the hearer has forgotten the importance of God's presence in his life. He's forgotten how important it is to allow God to direct him, how much easier it makes his life. He's forgotten all about that. And that person will never experience God's blessings the way they were supposed to. They will never experience. But before we get too hard on them, and I've I got to close here in a minute, but before we get too hard on those people who are hearers, let's see how easy it is to become one. 
because it is easy to become one, right? Because it's easy for us to fall into what I call a tying your shoes mentality of studying God's Word. Okay, remember that. That's a Chris Mosley original. All right, this is a tying your shoes mentality or approach to reading God's Word. See, we have tied our shoes so many times. You can still think about whatever you're doing. You can still read whatever you're reading. You can be watching TV. You can be trying to figure out what's happening on Law and Order or whatever and tie your shoes. You don't even think about tying your shoes anymore, do you? You just tie them and do whatever you're doing. It has literally become a mindless routine to you, tying your shoes. Right? And it's funny because tying your shoes is the one thing that plagues kids at one time in your life. You're like, how do people figure this out? What are you talking about, bunnies? You know, look, the bunnies are fighting. I'm like, shut up about the bunnies. How do I tie my shoes? Right? And I, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody's parents use the bunny thing? Thank goodness, because some of you looked at me like I was out of my mind when I said that. Right? But at one point in your life, tying your shoes was a major thing. You couldn't think about anything else. All you had to think about was tying your shoes, but it just becomes this mindless routine. I think sometimes when you've been saved a while, we read the Word, we do our devotions, we do our Bible studies so that when we go to Bible study class, we're not the bad student. We do all those things, and I think we do them without thinking like tying our shoes. I think we do them maybe while we're not even thinking of what we're doing at all. Maybe you might be thinking about, did you leave your stove on? You might be thinking about what happened at work, and you're just mindlessly answering questions and reading because that's what Christians are supposed to do. It, it can literally become a mindless routine like tying your shoes. And it doesn't change your life anymore because you're not looking intently into it. It says, you, you look for the questions. When I write devotions, I try not to make it questions you can answer by going word for word because that's what people will do. You ask a question, and you see it when I do devotions with kids. I'll, I'll ask them a question, they're going back through looking. I'm going, yeah, you're not going to find it. That's not that kind of question. I want you to actually do something that's going out of style now thanks to the internet. Think for yourselves a little bit, right? So... It's sad, but sometimes it becomes that way. How, now, be honest. How many people have been reading the Bible? Turn the pages three times, and you're going, what the heck did I just read? Did anybody, has anybody ever done that? You're like, I know I was reading it. I saw the words. But it's like tying your shoes. It's mindless to you now. You're not looking intently into it. Because if you were looking intently into it, you would be allowing it to change your life. And if it were changing your life because you were looking intently into it, God would be blessing you richly, even when you were going through trials. I think this is really, really powerful. Now, I have to stop there, but we'll pick up there next week. But this is one of those sections in James, actually one of the sections in the Bible that I think is one of the most important for us to understand. I do. I think it's one of the most important because, in my opinion, as times draw closer to the end, times get worse. Now, it doesn't say they're going to be the worst they've ever been in the end, but they are going to be bad. And I don't think we need mindless readers going through routines when they're reading. We need people who are looking intently into the perfect law of God, looking into God's word, seeing it's perfect, following it, trusting it, and being blessed for it. That's what we need out there. We need people like that out there today because the reason everything is the mess it is today is because we have too many mindless readers who have tying your shoe study mentality and while they're having their tying their shoe study mentality are allowing their government to go absolutely nuts and almost making our country something unidentifiable that's our fault believers 
And that's because we've become numb. We don't allow the word to change us anymore. This is what James is trying to tell these people to help them get through this. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and close there. We'll pick up there next week. I'm going to ask you, would you please bow your heads? If this is your first time, we always like to give an invitation. And if you're not sure where you stand, whether it be uh, with Jesus or maybe you're just struggling, we want to pray for you. And we don't call people out. We don't email you. We just pray for you. If you'd like to make eye contact, you put your head right back down. Bless those people. And I'm going to pray for you. Bless those people. If you're watching or listening online, God knows your heart. I'll be watching. I'll be praying for you. But believers, you know, this book was written to believers. And although any of God's word can lead people to Christ, it's really trying to teach us how to be the lights and examples that lead people to Christ. I've heard so many believers say, times are so difficult. If God doesn't step up, well, if you're not giving him an opportunity to step up in your life, what do you expect? We need to be those who are looking intently into the law and not, allow, not allowing our, our, our mood and the way we treat people to be affected by what's going on around us. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all you do. I thank you that you love me enough to give me eternal life. I thank you that you love the world enough to give everyone the opportunity to have eternal life. I just pray, God, that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, whatever's holding them back, whether it be religion or, or tradition, whatever's holding them back, just remove it. You knew we were imperfect. You knew we couldn't do right. You sent the garden and the law to teach us that we could never be perfect. So you sent your son to die on our behalf so that all we had to do was believe in him. And your word says if we trust him, we'll have eternal life. Doesn't mean we'll be perfect, but we will be redeemed. And I just pray, God, that they make that decision today, and if they do, that they contact us. But God, for those of us who are believers, let us be the believers who allow you to impact our lives, not the culture, not the country, not our politics. Let us be identified by the love of Jesus that went to that cross. Let people see that in us so that we might be more effective. We just pray, God, that you would go with us as we leave here and keep us safe. And if we don't have the opportunity to come back here, Lord, we will be happy to reach our arms up and embrace you as you take us home. But if you don't take us home before we meet again, let us come together and give you all the praise, honor, and glory you're so worthy of. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.